Welcome back to another episode of Meet the Creatives. Today, I am joined by Scott Delsky, Adobe's Chief Product Officer, who's also an executive, entrepreneur, investor, and author. Scott, thank you so much for coming on Meet the Creatives. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. I uh, got really fired up today watching your uh, Ask Gary V episode, I think from uh, two or three years ago. I know that I think two years ago, you were on Design Matters with Debbie Millman. And um, for both of those conversations, I was really um, I was like, I have to get this guy on the podcast. At the time, I had more or less just set out on this journey. So to be talking to you here today is really great. But let's hop into it. We got a half an hour. This is going to be the best half hour of everyone's life. Not necessarily <laughs> yours, but we'll, okay. we'll try. Hi, Bar. Right. Not possible, but let's do it. All right, here we go. Okay, so I want to start off with, and I'm sure you get this a lot when you're on interviews, but um, Behance, I know that you're a co-founder of Behance before it was a part of Adobe, where you are now the chief product officer. Uh, in 2006, you wanted to curate the creative industry, which is a monumental task. How did that come to be? Yeah, well, you know, for me, I've always, um, all my projects have always been inspired by a sense of frustration. And, uh, and in the case of Behance, my frustration was with just how disorganized the creative world is, how much my, uh, my, my friends that were in the creative space lived their careers at the mercy of circumstance. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and also coupled with the fact that everything that was interesting in the world was somehow touched by the hand of a creative uh, person. It's like media, you know, entertainment, all the stuff that takes our attention from us, you know, everything that we engage with that we help, you know, it helps us understand the world around us is touched by a creative person. And so I was like, wow, like these are the most important people for the future of the planet. And yet they are the most disorganized community on the planet. And that was the origin of Behance as a, as a platform to help people get attribution for their work, to connect with each other and for everyone to kind of understand the creative world at work. Yeah, absolutely. I remember that when I was in college, that was one of the first, I kind of just fell into graphic design. I knew that I was creative. I knew I could do some sort of Photoshop stuff. And I distinctly remember the product of Behance was really what kind of catapulted me into the creative community. It's where I initially found out about some of my favorite agencies and stuff like that. And to this day, I still um, love the Behance community and um, have gone on from Behance to all of the different apps um, from Adobe. And I guess we'll, we'll go into that, you know, during the last two years as somebody who's just starting out in um, my career, I really have um, tried to broaden my horizons as a creative. I think nowadays it's imperative to do that. I started out in Photoshop in high school. Then I got into college and got more into illustrator in design, sort of the modular grids and all that stuff. Uh, then as a photographer, you know, I started out in Photoshop and have fallen madly in love with Lightroom. And then um, for a, there was a, a period there where I thought, oh, no, I have to pick one. I have to double down on something. But I've had way too much. <laughs> frankly, I've had way too much free time on my hands uh, over the last uh, two years with everything going on. Yeah. And I was like, you know what, let's just try and test and play and just get in there. More recently, I've been doing, you know, Dimension and Stager. Cool. This, this podcast is edited with audition. This is a ringing endorsement for Adobe. I'm not getting paid. To say this. <laughs> I love it. But what is it like to oversee all that? Yeah, sure. Well, well, listen, it's an honor to be able to kind of be a steward of these products. Um, they're all run by very passionate teams who have like a deep expertise in their vertical. Mm -hmm. I think the challenge is to make sure that we not only meet the needs of the power users, 
uh, that use our products for a living, but also- Am I a power user? Is that how that works? Am I, guess, I-, I guess you are now based on yes. your description. <laughs> but, but also, you know, how do we help more people like you in the earlier phase of your tinkering with these products learn them? Mm-hmm. They're very intimidating. Yeah. And you know, one of my cardinal sort of motivations as a product leader is to build products that are powerful enough for professionals, but accessible to anyone. Because that's ultimately what opens the funnel of, you know, what types of people can engage with creative work. And that's what the world needs, right? So, right. so that's, that is the challenge, right? And it's an everyday battle because these products, again, are sophisticated and they, you know, they cater to a very um, power and, you know, and, and loyal customer of ours um, that kind of doesn't want anything to change. And yet you yeah. have a <laughs> customers who are like, why is this so complicated and why it shouldn't it be completely modernized and different? Right. So that's, you know, I think I would say that's like the largest, largest challenge, but, you know, I look at all these new trends in the world these days, you know, whether it be the rise of NFTs, whether it be the rise of like virtual reality and augmented reality and, you know, all of this stuff starts with content, right? Whether it's a JPEG, which are the three-dimensional product with like a texture or material that looks real or whatever. And a lot of that stuff tracks its way back to our products, and, uh, and that's, that's like what I love about Adobe and its mission in the world and, and what our customers do every day. Yeah. And what I love about it is it just eliminates the friction, right? You know, if I wanted, I wanted to start a podcast and be, you know, I have that Adobe subscription and there was nothing really standing in the way other than a couple of YouTube videos or a couple of tutorials, which I know are integrated within the app. Sometimes you don't even need to go onto the internet. It's really exciting, but it's also kind of intimidating, intimidating at the same time. It's an extraordinary time to be a creative of any kind, whether you know my own personal experience as an illustrator, photographer, whatever it is that you're doing, there's little to no friction at all. And I feel like the experience only gets easier and easier. And I've kind of just learned to sort of go with the flow and Adobe is constantly changing. And um, even in typography, just the constant update of you know um, Adobe fonts, being able to have access to all of that, it's just really, sometimes it almost seems like it's too too good to be true, so. Uh, that's that's my Adobe fanboying for the day. Fair enough. Fair enough. We got I, that, take that box. <laughs> I love it. All right. You mentioned NFTs, and I'm really uh, excited to get into this stuff. Now, admittedly, I'm just going to go ahead and say, I know with that talk with Gary, you were saying that it's kind of, it's important that you, if you don't know, you just sort of say that up front. So I'll be the first to say, I don't really know a lot about NFTs, but I have been really amazed to see how it is affecting the creative community. And I really want to get a better understanding of it. I probably should be getting more involved in it. Um, so I know you are really interested in this recently, and uh, I'm sure that it is a huge shift in the creative field. And you've been there for a lot of those, especially early on. So, well, let's let's talk about what's not new, right? Because I think yeah. the best technologies bring us back to the way things once were, but with more scale and more efficiency. Right. And if you think about for hundreds and hundreds of years, people have wanted to purchase a piece of art and they've wanted to show it, you know, to others. Why? Right. Well, they're purchasing a piece of art because it demonstrates their taste. It serves to some degree as like a cultural flex. It kind of shows that you have good taste, that you found something that's interesting. Absolutely. It helps, it helps define your identity to some extent as well. Type like a virtue of, signaling kind of thing. Yeah. Exactly. Virtue signaling. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and, and are you willing to pay for the art? Well, it's all basically, canvas and oil it's not all you know none of it's really worth anything from a actual materials perspective for the most part 
but we do buy and pay more for the virtual good value of a piece of art, right? So we're we're buying a you know a, a, a an Andy Warhol. It's like it's probably five to seven dollars of materials and about you know six hundred to seven hundred thousand dollars worth of virtual good value right. to that thing to that piece of work. And what gives it its value is the fact that it's scarce, that it's authenticated, um, can't be copied in the sense that it's authenticated. Although you know, who, who knows, right? If someone's a really good forger, uh, maybe it is copied. But what's interesting is that since 2006 or so when Behance first launched, 2007, the creative community, the digital artists of the world have been blowing my mind in terms of what they're capable of. But I've never had a way to collect their work. Like I collected, I could collect a, an artist's work, like a visual, a physical artist's work. Mm-hmm. And what's happened is with the NFT concept is that it's enabled you to purchase a piece of work with the provenance and display it with the cultural flex and the virtue signaling and like everything I just described in the physical world, except you can't forge it because it's tracked back to the creator and you can kind of validate if this is actually real or not and and who it's, or, or at least who who owns it is kind of clear. Who owns right. a piece of work at any time is, 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 is non-tamperable. But it also, um, it also is easier to display. I mean, your living room is only frequented by like whatever small circle of friends you invite to your home, whereas a, um, an NFT can be displayed in your profiles in various places. I mean, Twitter just announced that they're going to have validated NFTs as your avatars. You know, this is kind of the That's future awesome. of identity to some extent. Yeah. So, you know, stepping back for a minute, it's like, well, wait a second. I think the NFT art world should be bigger than the fine art world. Because it's, again, more efficient and more scalable and has all of the things that we've always longed for in art as collectors. And, you know, and that's a that's a controversial statement. I think a lot of people would say, well, first of all, there is a bubble right now, right? Like some NFTs are worth more than they should be worth based on the pent up, you know, angst or, or you know, or excitement. But uh, over the long term, this is here to stay. Yeah, absolutely. That's kind of exciting. Yeah. That's really cool. cool. It's pretty cool. And I think there's a unique problem that Adobe can solve in this specifically around attribution, because even though I said you can always know who minted a piece of work and who owns it, you don't know whether the person who's minting it is the artist who created it. Um, I think that's a problem that Adobe can help solve. So more, more to come on that front. Yeah. Well, I, I, as, as a, a power user of Adobe, yeah. I support you. Go get it. Scott Bell. There we go. That's right. awesome. So a lot of people, I've heard the term metaverse. Uh, Could you explain that in in your own terms and um, trying to get a better understanding of it? Yeah, well, I think that the idea of us living in virtual worlds is something that we're increasingly opening our minds to. Uh, The Fortnite concept, the other other, uh, worlds like Decentraland and Axie Affinity, these are decentralized worlds that are not controlled by a company, but are rather controlled by the token holders of those worlds. This is They're, so cool. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty amazing. And uh, I've even seen some companies pitching ideas of metaverses or virtual uh, experiences that have the notion of presence. You know, you're in it, I'm in it. I can see you, you can see me. That's like kind of what defines a, a metaverse um, for different functions of the enterprise. Like do DevOps people hang out together in some like metaverse somewhere? I mean, there's a lot of really cool stuff on the horizon, but in order for any of these worlds to succeed, they have to be filled with rich, interactive, exciting, and cool creativity. 
Yeah. So I think that that's the role of, of Adobe through it. Some of the objects in these worlds will be scarce and will have provenance by being NFTs like we just discussed. And some of the content will just be like fun, cool, graffiti-like stuff that you and I create and can see and can can consume. And I think it's freaking awesome. That is so awesome. Dude, you better invite me to all the cool metaverse parties. <laughs> I, I want to be ex the Adobe exclusive hangout session. Absolutely. I want to be there. So the purpose of this podcast to switch gears a little bit here is to bridge the gap between entry-level creative professionals and people um, like yourself who are out there doing incredible things, you know, leading companies uh, and are perhaps a little bit further on down the road. And I'm sure that you are often asked this given your position, but I'd like to get some advice today for people just starting out. One of the things that people are, I know are listening to this podcast for is because they're looking to get work, to get a job. What would your advice be for people just kind of starting out they're looking to utilize the adobe software they're looking to get their first entry-level job um, sort of some basic advice and then maybe we'll go more into the specifics sure well you know i think i always advise people when they ask me for career advice especially earlier on um, to make sure that they get closer to the intersection of three things with every decision every job they take every role they play every project they sign up for or volunteer for and it's in the overlap of three things. So your genuine interests, like what you'll stay up at night, holding your eyes open to read more about, to think more about the things you kind of fall asleep thinking about. Those are your genuine interests. Your uh, skills that you either have or can easily develop and possess. So if you happen to be you know, good at something, like that's obviously a an area of overlap, hopefully that you focus on because that's, you know people need to capitalize on their strengths to have great careers. And then the third, in the, uh, the third, you know, circle in this Venn diagram is the um, opportunities that are readily available to you. And uh, you know, this, this is more of a statement about being opportunistic. You know, if you if you love basketball, you know, and you happen to um, be a great, uh, you know, and you have to happen to really have good business skills, um, and you have an opportunity to work in some sports organization, that's like working in your overlap, right? but you probably shouldn't join the basketball team if your skills are not so great, you know, if you just right. have the interest, the genuine interest. So finding that, finding like what the, the genuine interests, the, um, the skills that you have or could easily possess and your, and your opportunities that are you know, around you based on circumstance, if you can find the overlap of those three things, I feel like that's where people then sort of demonstrate career strength, right? And then it's based on strength that people want to hire you. They want to work with you. They want to work for you. They want to invest in you. They want to be your first customer. And I just, you know, that's always a good thing. Now, I have friends in the past who, you know, had college loans and were, were taking a job out of college and were comparing between two, like one pays me 5,000 or 10,000 more than the other. And I always would encourage them as much as that's a very like practical necessity to be long-term greedy as opposed to short-term greedy. You know, if they could afford to take the job that puts them more in that intersection of those three things over the one that doesn't. Yeah. Absolutely. A question that I would love to ask someone like yourself. I know you see a lot of portfolios, a lot of different work, people uh, on Behance, I know, make incredible portfolios. People use Adobe to build out websites and everything. What are you, as somebody who is hiring or has just seen a lot in general, what are you looking for in a portfolio? And what are some of the things you like? And then what are some of the things that might show that someone's not quite ready for the job? Well, on, on a portfolio side, I think the mistake a lot of 
designers and others creative creatives make is to just kind of show a finished product or a screenshot. Mm -hmm. I've never been a fan of portfolio sites that let you show like a, you know, a small 400 by 400 pixel snapshot of something with a drop shadow. I think that that anyone can do that. I think you need to share the project. You need to share the context in which you're solving a problem. That you cannot misrepresent. That you can't cheat. Uh, it, it, how a, a design is about problem solving. And it's the, when you're hiring a designer, you're trying to understand the nature of the problem as it was presented, the explorations and the way a team explored all the possibilities, who you worked with and what roles they played, and then what the outcome was and how you iterated it after, you know, and what I love about the way, you know, we designed the project of Behance was to kind of accommodate a multimedia story for every project in someone's portfolio. And I think that's why people enjoy hiring off of Behance um, is that you get that sense. And you, if, you if you follow someone on Behance, you really get an understanding of how they solve problems. What is the best way when networking and getting to know people and you're just starting out, you don't have a lot of experience, but you're looking to have an environment in which you could one day get a job, but without being so you know, transactional about it? Leading with your genuine interests is... You know, is, are, those are the people that have broken through to me. You know, I have a busy life now. I have a family and kids and a big job and, you know, do a lot of other uh, investing type things as well. And I just have very little time. And so um, I'm thinking back about the people who have kind of, kind of permeated the membrane, you know, and kind of gotten in and become really interesting to me. And I've wanted to take time with, and those are people who really, continually surface things that were interesting to me as a way to build a relationship, whether it was interactions through social media or, um, or, and then, you know, if, if when you reply enough to somebody with something interesting, they end up following you because they want to see more. Right. And they're, and they also check you end up checking you out. Cause they're like, who is this person? And, you know, and then that can become a relationship. And there are a lot of people I now know that I actually may have never met physically, um, but would even help out, you know, and, and recommend for a role or, you know, even higher up for my team someday. So it's, uh, but it's very genuine, right? It's, it's more of a, yeah, it's more of a surfacing your interests and your knowledge in a way that makes you become valuable and respected by somebody else. This is sort of a cliche question, but it oftentimes brings interesting results. So I'm well aware of how hacky this question is, but I'm just curious to get your, your thoughts on this. If you can go back in a time machine we're firing up the time machine now. You go back in a time machine, you get to talk to yourself when you're like, you know, just out of school, you're scared, freaking out, trying to figure out life. If you can give yourself any advice, what would that advice be? Well, I think we have to remember that things change dynamically and quickly. And so when you're going through a funk, you know, I wrote a whole book called The Messy Middle, which is all about uh, the fact that every company and team goes through a very long period of ambiguity, uncertainty, anxiety, insecurity. It's hard, especially when you're doing something important because a lot of people will shun you, you know, before they celebrate you. And so I think that's, I think it's an important uh, realization to know that you're not alone. Like you're just in the messy middle and it's kind of par for the course to some extent. You know, when, when, when things have been the most tough for me in my career, I've tried to double down on just the work. You know, I've tried to really find the parts of the work that I enjoy and remind myself to just do my job because it's hard when there's no end in sight and, uh, or you have to make a very difficult decision or deliver a difficult decision to a team, let somebody go, you know, and you have a lot of doubt about your own capabilities as a leader at times. And just to remind yourself that 
if you just keep moving forward, um, telling yourself the narrative and telling your team the narrative of why you're doing what you're doing, you know, you can, you can endure. Scott, thank you so much for doing this. This has been incredible. I love this conversation. I feel like I learned so much. You got me really fired up about NFTs. I'm excited to learn more uh, and to dig into it. What do you have coming up? What are you looking forward to? This is shameless self-promotion time. What's Adobe yeah. up to? Yeah, well, well, uh, you know, Adobe, we're, we're launching our, our products in the end of October. Yes. Um, we are really uh, excited about making Creative Cloud you know, as much about collaboration as it is about creativity, helping people work more together. And we've got some really fun products in the pipeline for, um, for you know, early 2022 as well. But I, I think that the, the creative world you know, has never been more uh, exciting, just in the sense that everyone kind of needs creativity to stand out in their careers these days. Every small business realizes that they, realizes they have to just publish and distribute content across so many platforms all day, every day to engage their audience. It's just so fun to see new brands emerge that are people, you know, that are creating content and building a business around their content, getting people to subscribe to their content. I mean, it's just this notion of the creator economy, you know, something I think a lot about. And, uh, you know, that certainly I think will will influence a lot of the future of Adobe and, and my own career because I just just absolutely love that stuff. But thank you for the great questions. And and I hope, uh, I hope they were good. I, I, I can't tell. I get really nervous about like one things like this. I, I don't know. I feel like, no, you're, like no. you're way, you're way up here and I'm like this little person down here, but I, uh, I, <laughs> I, I beg to defer and you know, you're an active customer of a lot of our products. So. I'm a power user, Scott. I'm a yeah. power user. I am taking that with me today. Great. That's well, cool. listen, like, thanks for getting, helping us get the word out, but also, you know, your questions about navigating your career. And I just encourage everyone who's listening to, you know, consider how you can bring more creativity into your own career. Cause I think it will, you know, certainly future proof your potential in the future. Um, and you know, you'll be surprised, you know, how much this uniquely human trait we all have of creativity, you know, helps contribute to our success and impact in society. It's, it's pretty, uh, pretty important. Where can people find you online? If people want to subscribe to Adobe, that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm just at Scott Belsky, um, and, uh, all the social networks out there. And, uh, and then of course, if folks want to come in and give creative cloud a try, um, there's a lot of uh, you know, fun stuff there and a lot more coming. So uh, that's awesome. Well, listen, thank you again for having me. And thank uh, you. It's been really cool.